Ladies and gentlemen, pay attention. This is your boy, the coach from the WWE. I would like to welcome you to the very first wrestling podcast in the world to take you on a weekly deep dive in the classic matches along with legends of the squared circle. Enjoy the discussion. Enjoy the back and forth. There's so much to get into. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the payoff. Do you believe in miracles? Oh my God. This is Tom Healy. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Jeffrey Ryan. Jeff, today we cover one of the really great moments in pro wrestling history and certainly a very pivotal night for the wrestling business. But first, how the hell are you doing? Man, talking ECW, man, what is not to love? You know, I was, you know, great coming back last week, our first episode of the new year, you know, number two, we are rolling now 2020. So this should be good stuff. And so, um, and the fans too, like you and I, we're talking just our shoot jobs. You and I are spending a lot of time together this month just because of that. And so uh, you and I are bouncing ideas off each other, coming up with different things. And so, um, you know, and then we made some plans for early April. I heard that there's a wrestling event happening. So uh, who knows where the payoff's going to show up. And so uh, always very exciting things. I'm doing good, man. Like, it's been a good week. I got the day off. It's good stuff. So well, you, you, you bring up an interesting point. You know, one second we're having a serious business conversation. And then the next question I ask you is, all right, so which WrestleMania matches should we cover? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. What what events do we want to go to WrestleMania? Do would you rather do SmackDown or NXT? Yeah. That's uh, oh. I, well, I was talking about the matches that we actually want to cover for the show. But yes, then then also the WrestleMania trip because you know that'll be fun too. But no, I was talking about how hey, you know yeah. I'm, I'm like hey, uh, what do you think, uh, Michael's Flair? Or do we go with the WrestleMania 10 ladder match or? Ah, which, there's some good, there's match, some good yeah. macho man stuff. So yeah, so we're definitely going to be covering some WrestleMania stuff headed into WrestleMania season. Um, I, you know, I love, I'm a, obviously a major WrestleMania mark and really almost anything that took place uh, from WrestleMania one to 10, I would love to cover uh, any of those big matches. So there'll be a lot of good stuff for us to cover in the, in the coming months. That's for sure. I think you and I are both uh, the fan of the two day WrestleMania though. At least I'm in that court. I don't know about uh, you. I'm 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 warming up to the idea of it not being one seven hour show. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> Which more than that when we're there. So, but that's part of it, I guess. So that's all right. But yeah, and, and on a on a completely unrelated note, if anyone's attending WrestleMania for the first time and uh, needs some advice or some guidance on how to navigate the events and where to buy tickets for and when to buy them, hit me up on Twitter at Payoff Tom. I, uh, I literally could probably write a book on it at this point of just trial and error of trying to learn seating charts and events and logistics around WrestleMania weekend. So happy to help. <laughs> take it, take the pillars into account always. So yes, pillars for outdoor shows into account. That's, yes. that's it my number one piece of advice right so so of course as always everybody good stuff happening but uh subscribe to the payoff give us those five stars spread the word about the show we know you can find us everywhere we always have fans asking us what, what you know what platform are you on we're on them all you can find us even if you know people listen to us on youtube like there's no video or anything but you can just throw us up in the background listen to us that whole time we're all fans of that too so um of course we're out there on every platform that you listen to us but also Tom and I, we love our social media, part of what we do. So find the payoff on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just at payoff pod. Tom already gave his handle at payoff Tom. I'm at payoff Jeff. 
we are out there. Just expect to see a lot, especially just with us kind of rolling back into it. But hey, like I said, we love interacting with our fans. Always say, we'll give you the uh, the gift reply. So uh, yeah, definitely reach out to us and uh, drop a line. So um, Tom, what else you got? Nothing. Just uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, a, a great uh, first show back into 2020. It was fun to get back in the swing of things and uh, a very well-received show last week uh, with Billy Gunn talking about the New Age Outlaws joining DX. And, uh, you know, as always, check out some of our greatest hits in the archives. Tell your friends, make sure to share it. You know, that's how we grow. Uh, we're not putting billboards up on the highway or taking out commercials during Raw. So <laughs> we, we get, uh, you know, new listeners and uh, fans of the show by uh, all of you sharing it and spreading the word. So we really appreciate you doing that. Jeff, give them a quick rundown of how we do things for anyone new to the payoff and we'll jump into things. Of course, as always, we give you that deep dive into a match every Monday and every episode, you guys know it. Those three parts, the build, the payoff, the aftermath. We talk about what happened before. We talk about what happened during. We talk about what happened after plain and simple. You guys, that's what we are all about here on the payoff. Then after that, we look at those reviews. We try and find some different places, kind of what were the write-ups, what were people talking about the time and then of course tom and i wouldn't be a wrestling show if we didn't give it a little bit of a score kind of our feelings what we're thinking about and so throw that out there as well too for you guys so you know good stuff you know we're looking forward to this one but um tom i'll kick it to you first um everybody knows you make no secret of you uh your ecw markness but how come you wanted to talk about this one yeah so a couple things i i think this whole terry funk winning the title uh it's it's, I don't want to say a lost moment in the wrestling business, but a, a bit of an underrated one, okay? I, I For whatever reason, I just think this gets kind of lost in the ECW shuffle of greatest moments. And uh, I, I loved it. Uh, and I'll get more into it, but I, I loved the idea of the veteran winning the title, and I wish we saw more of this. Uh, it, the other thing, too, is, as I said in my intro, this is just a massive night in the history of the wrestling business. So I love talking about it. I love reliving it. I love hearing stories from behind the scenes. Um, you know, there are some documentaries that have bits and pieces of some of the backstage stuff that day. But I'll tell you what, I really wish that we had like a WWE Network 24-7 type documentary to cover everything that happened in this evening and that we could relive it because it, it would just be fascinating to watch. So I love what took place on screen. I love what took place behind the scenes. I love the moment that ends the show that we're here to talk about. Uh, Jeff, what about you, my friend? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, while you're the always been the ECW fan, you know, I, I was not as big a follower or even really a follower when it was happening. And so, but I've enjoyed every single kind of one of these matches that we've talked about times that we've you know brought up a match these moments whatever it might be um we're kind of getting into that point too where whether it was known or unknown kind of the wwe bankrolling things a little bit as well and so i always like kind of you know thinking about that a little bit and the behind the scenes stuff that uh, some of it we didn't know anything about so i agree with you i'm like like i wish we had something i know the the paul Heyman uh network special was really good he gets into this a little bit and so um there's more him and brock in like their relationship but there was still some really good things there as well too and so and while you know some of these matches we you know it's, we don't make secret of it we don't shy away from the fact that some of them are hard to watch like just some of the moments kind of what they were doing but that's what ecw was in a lot of ways like you said 
instrumental in kind of what it gave back to just the wrestling business and what they achieved. Like, you know, like us, you and I, not nearly on the same scale, but took a leap, decided to start this podcast to kind of doing what we're doing for them. Like their first pay-per-view, like took the leap, went for it, built up to it. And so um, just kind of really cool stuff. And, and we've seen it too and heard from, you know, fans of the show that people aren't like, they love when we cover ECW matches. And so we're happy to bring another one to everybody. So with that being said, let's get to the build. Oh, it's time for the build. All right, here we are with the build. We're at a sold out ECW arena. It's April 13th, 1997 for ECW's first ever pay-per-view. I remember, you know, obviously I subscribed to the Dirt Sheets uh, growing up. So every single week, you know, leading up to this show and really, gosh, it felt like six or 12 months up to this pay-per-view. It was always, will ECW be on pay-per-view? Will ECW get cleared for pay-per-view? You know, can they get into viewer's choice, right? And some of these other pay-per-view companies. And so it was always, you know, there was this massive build for, ECW being on pay-per-view because, you know, I was one of those people who I never went to ECW shows. I didn't live in Philadelphia. I had never been to one. It wasn't an easily accessible thing. Again, this is like 2 a.m. on your local access channel. You'd get ECW Hardcore TV, which would be an hour. Uh, But, you know, you didn't see a lot of what took place or you'd hear things or you'd have to buy tapes online. So, we all really wanted this ECW pay-per-view to happen. Um, We finally got it. And there were a lot of stop and start, you know, they'd have momentum and then something bad would happen and the pay-per-view companies would get scared and wouldn't want to have ECW on pay-per-view. Then they get close again and something else bad would happen. And it was stop, start, stop, start uh, before they actually were able to do it. And so, uh, you know, I found this excerpt from Keller uh, leading up to the pay-per-view and he said, you know, in fact, very few within the industry seem to give ECW much of a chance to succeed on pay-per-view other than the plugs on WWF television a few weeks back, ECW's Exposure nationally has been nil. When originally conceived, the idea was ECW would take the country by storm, promoting its unique style of wrestling in an aggressive ad campaign nationwide. Instead, ECW has essentially only plugged its pay-per-view on its TV show, which still has very limited national penetration, and a few weeks ago on WWF Raw. So going into this, I mean, the, the, the media, if you will, was basically yeah, this probably isn't going to work. They're going to do this one show. They're going to take a bloodbath financially uh, or they're going to piss people off because it's going to be too edgy and it's never going to happen again. Look, ECW ended up doing 22 pay-per-views. So, you know, I know it's, oh, ECW failed. They went out of business. They lost money. The WWE had to prop them up financially, but they still did 22 pay-per-views, okay? Um, It's just such an interesting time because, again, there was no social media. Like ECW would still exist if it was in this day and age because they would have grown organically through social media and they would have been able to have online pay-per-views and they would have, you know, maybe not gotten a traditional TV deal, but they would have figured out ways to make money. And it's a shame. I mean, it was just really tough. So, you know, Keller says, oh, they're a national ad campaign. They didn't have the money to do a national ad campaign. There was no social media. So it's just really interesting, you know, how much harder in a lot of ways it was from a business standpoint to create awareness for your product. Um, 
but obviously they exceeded the expectations that they had. Uh, another interesting quote was from Paul Heyman, who said, I don't think the wrestling community understands what this pay-per-view is about. This pay-per-view is about whether this company can play by the rules, whether ECW is a controllable product. What he's saying is, we've been given a chance. We can't F it up. You know, if it's too edgy, if it's too over the top, if it's too vulgar, we're never going to be allowed to do this again. So it was about ECW saying, yes, we can produce this pay-per-view. Uh, the building's not going to lose power. Uh, the, the, the technology's not going to work. You know, um, we're going to be able to produce it, number one. And then number two is it's not going to be so over the top that you're not, you're going to find it too offensive or, or too vulgar to be able to air on pay-per-view. So they accomplished that. They executed the pay-per-view and they were able to, you know, keep it relatively tame in comparison to some of the stuff they had done. So they were able to do it. Uh, they had 66. I, yeah, go ahead. Like, I find it super interesting because like even sitting here, like kind of listening to you talk about this, it's some of the same arguments that we were hearing for AEW and why they were going to fail. Like, oh, they couldn't put it on a pay-per-view. Like, they don't have the exposure. Like, it's going to be a one-off type thing. And here we are, you know, months later, me having been to a live show, and they're still kind of touring and doing their thing. But I think it's funny. It's it just it really comical to me how um, <laughs> sometimes we can view the business. Yeah, and I, I think it's unfair. I mean, and again, I know it's 2020 hindsight, but I, in both those cases, whether you're talking AEW more recently or ECW back in the day, I, I mean, why would you have not thought they'd be successful? ECW right. had a pretty good fan following. They ended up getting, you know, a 0.26 buy rate, which is 100,000 buys. So there was a thirst for this product. Same with AEW. Why would you think they wouldn't be successful? So I look, I know there's lots of like failed wrestling promotions, bad ideas, but this wasn't like the XWF. This wasn't like Heroes of Wrestling or some of the train wreck stuff that's taken place. I mean, in both these situations, you had enough fan interest that you should know that they can be successful. So, um, I thought you, know, you were going to say the XFL. <laughs> well, hey, I my money's on the XFL working this time, but that's a whole other conversation. Yep. So. I had mentioned that there was some of this stuff behind the scenes documented. There's a great documentary called Beyond the Mat, which if you haven't seen, go find it. I'm sure you can find it online, or I think it might be streaming on Amazon if I'm not mistaken. But uh, they had the, the great pre-show speech by Paul Heyman that's now become famous. And I just want to read this excerpt real quick. There are 17 million homes that have availability for this show tonight that will pay $20, hopefully, for the privilege to see you guys do what you have done for three and a half years. Thank Terry Funk for all that he has done for this company, for helping to put us on the map, for being unselfish in selfish times, for taking the young guys and showing them a better way. Tonight, we have a chance to say, yeah, you're right. We're too extreme. We're too wild. We're too out of control. We're too full of our own shit. Or we have a chance to say, hey, fuck you. You're wrong. Fuck you. We're right. Because you all have made it to the dance. Because believe me, this is the dance. You know, we hear that good speech. We hear that ECW was like a cult. Well, you know what? Paul Heyman was a fucking cult leader, right? I mean, it's just, you know, you would have ran through a damn wall for him. I mean, I'm sitting there reading this. I'm thinking, yeah, I would have done a balcony dive for this guy. (laughs) Um, We're not going to spend a lot of time on the barely legal show, but basically this was built around a handful of matches. Uh, Shane Douglas uh, in Pitbull 2, which was, viewed as a disappointment then the taz sabu match which had about an 18 month build kind of impossible to you know 
meet the expectations for that, but it was still delivered with a really good match. Then it had the three-way match with a chance to wrestle for the ECW World Heavyweight title. That was Terry Funk, Sandman, and Stevie Richards, which Terry Funk would win. And then the reason we're here, which is the Terry Funk-Raven uh, world title match. So overall, you know, far from being the best ECW pay-per-view they ever did, but it was solid. It delivered. It had some really good matches. Also had some stuff that maybe didn't, you know, meet or exceed the expectations. But overall, really strong effort. So, uh, Jeff, as always, from a storyline standpoint, how did we get to Terry Funk at age 53 wrestling for a world heavyweight title for ECW on their first pay-per-view? Yeah, so we'll start with Raven. Uh, Raven and Sandman... They'd actually been, I'll just say, trading the ECW championship for over a year, just kind of back and forth. Um, he had actually last won it. It was December 7th, 1996. Um, of course, this match being April 13th. And so he was still the champion at this time. But they had, you know, him and Sandman kind of some back and forth with it that whole time. Um, he had really defended it, though, against a lot of different people. You know, the names you know, Tommy Dreamer, Stevie Richards, RVD, just a bunch of different people. Um, before we talk about this match, though, between Terry and Raven, we do have to talk about the match that Tom talked a little bit about before, which was the three-way match. So for starters, Terry Funk, he started in wrestling in 1965, 32 years before this match. 1965. So, oh, my yes. God. So. Tom, I did. I kind of googled it. I did a little bit of work. I'm, I'm trusting just the internet on this one, but and I know you have no idea because it's not in the notes. But do you know the first time Terry Funk had a retirement match? What year? Okay, so I don't know if this was the first one, but I do remember there was a retirement match against Bret Hart, and I want to say like around this period of time, 1983. Oh my God. Was, was Terry <laughs> Funk's first retirement match. So you missed it by about 12, 13 years. All right. So what do you, what, what do you, who, who was it against? Where was it? Do I you didn't, know the I details? didn't do it. I did not look into it fully. And okay. so, but it was, that was according, like, when internet let us know one of those. Like, we'll dig it up too and kind of look at it. But just real quick, when I was looking at it, when we got a little bit of a break, we can check it out too. Because he did, he did a, I want to say late 90s. It would have been when Brett was still in the WWF. So it might have been 98 yep. where he did, yeah. where he did, yeah, him and Brett had a match uh, in Amarillo, Texas. It was a non title. And I have some of those notes for later. So, yes, I got Great. you covered on that one. So, but he really was the old guard trying to help the younger guys over. So he used to be like that traditional Southern style, Southern style match, but then went to this more kind of violent, hardcore style. And he was willing to help, which before this started Eastern championship wrestling, which we know became extreme championship wrestling after Shane Douglas, bunch of different things happening there. So, um, but he was there to kind of really give some notoriety to extreme championship wrestling. So he had a really a, a set schedule with them. He was also doing some time in Japan, but, um, and when we say younger guys and help them get over like these at the time, maybe, but like nowadays, like this was like, Shane Douglas, Sandman, Sabu, his own protege, Tommy Dreamer, like young guys, but not really. So the deal on this card was between Stevie Richards, Sandman, Terry Funk. One of them was going to get a shot at the championship that night at Barely Legal. So um, there wasn't much of a build, just what it was really just supposed to be like kind of a one-off event. 
um, you know, that this was a few months shy of his 53rd birthday. Terry, you know, came out, you know, picked up the win over Stevie Richards and Sandman in that match. And then immediately thereafter, um, Raven came out to the ring to start the match. So their match, the three-way though, it had trash cans, it had barbed wire, it had steel chairs, it had Terry Funk doing a moonsault to pin Sandman, which is how he got the win, get it getting labeled by the pro wrestling torch four stars. The, so the, really the good classic match. and the classic Terry Funk moonsault that was more of kind of like a it's 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 when I used to try to do a moonsault in the pool. It was like a kind of you got you yes. got about halfway around, but you didn't quite do like a straight backflip. Yeah, it was, yes. it was u- ugly as hell. But it's so, not Charlotte, that's for sure. So no, no. So you know, following that match, like I said, the music's still playing after that match. Ravens in the ring, ready to go, with Terry Funk just dead in the ring. So, Tom, what do you got? Good stuff. Um, you know, the only other thing I'll add to this is, you know, Terry Funk was 53 at the time. Taker's 54 right now. Uh, Chris Jericho's 49. I, I remember thinking Terry Funk was like so old, but in reality, I mean, you know, there's still guys that are performing now that are yeah, around that age. Yeah. He just, he, I think it's just safe to say that Terry Funk maybe looked and moved around a bit more weathered than some others his age at, at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So that's all I have. I got, I got a lot of thoughts for us to cover after the match, but you know, excited to welcome Raven back to the payoff. Uh, one of our favorite guests, I think, and uh, love having him. His insight is just incredible. His memory is great of, of a lot of things. I think you guys are going to love the interview, and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about how the match was received and, and our thoughts following it. So with that being said, we're, we're going to jump into the payoff. If you want to watch along on the network, it's the two hour, 33 minute mark, two hours, 33 on the dot of ECW barely legal. You can also find it on uh, various streaming platforms as well. Um, and again, same deal. It's uh, right when Raven enters the ring following the three-way match. So with that, it's time for the payoff. Oh, it's time for the payoff. All right. We're here with, Raven, barely legal, 1997. This uh, was- we're still here. We're still here from last week. We're still doing this on the same day. Who you ribbing? Oh God, you know, you just you just <laughs> broke the whole mystique of this show. Ah, uh, I killed it. <laughs> All right, so we're here watching this match, uh, barely legal, 97. Tell us about this evening. Tell us about just everything. I'm just fascinated by this whole uh, this whole match and this whole evening for you. All right, so so. The um, so we're running out of time on the pay per view. They were supposed to go like I don't know, let's say fifteen, you know, and then supposed to leave like twelve for me and Funk or something like that. And these guys went so long, and Paulie's flipping out. He's like, the, the, the paper, and it's the first pay per view they had. So you know, if, if they would have, if the show would have went off the air without ter- Terry Funk beating me for the title, you know, winning the title after all the build up, it would have been horrible, you know, for the people at home watching. You know, they would have revolted. You know, he would have had to give money back or I don't know. Anyway, so Paulie's like, you got to go now. I go, I can't. It's not my spot, Paulie. He's like, you got to go. And he's so nervous. He's flipping out. And I'm like, no, they'll, they'll, get it, they'll get it done in time. They'll leave me enough time. All I got to do is let Funk beat me, so don't worry about it. So he's flipping out. He's flipping out. My roommate was a foot surgeon, um, and he was the company doctor. So he, um, oh, Terry Funk just got the, the keg thrown on his head. Or something oh, God. outside yeah. the ring from Sandman. 
so the, he was a uh, so Mar so uh, we called him the quack, even though he was a he's a legit surgeon, you know, doctor, and uh, he um he uh he was the company doctor because Paulie needed a doctor at ringside, and I'm like my roommate's a doctor. You want to use him? He's like, yeah, sure. So he came, and uh, so he has, he's gonna have a spot later on, and uh, what happens is is when uh he's gonna check on fun. So the, during my spot. During my part of the match, after later, a little bit after this with Dreamer and uh, I mean, a little after this with Sandman and Stevie and Funk when this ends, um, I'm going to be beating Funk up, I believe. Um, I mean, like I said, I haven't seen this in years. And uh, the um, and Funk's going to be bleeding and, and he's beat up. And so, you know, because he's older and um, and so he's going to um, they're going to bring out my the doctor. You know, he's in a suit. He's going to come out. I think he's in a suit, either that or scrubs, one of the two. He's going to come out and check on Funk to see if he can continue. But so in the back, Paulie's flipping out and Paulie's going, you got to go now. And he's like, Paulie, relax. He's like totally calm. He's like, and uh, and Paulie's freaking out. And he's telling me the story later. He's like, he's like, Paulie, relax. And finally, Paulie's like, you got to go now. He goes, it's not my spot. <laughs> Which is so funny because he's like a civilian. You know, he's not a pro wrestler. You know what I mean? Yeah. He just does the business from being my roommate. So then finally, Paulie goes, you got to go. You got to go. He's like, Paulie, relax. I save lives. But he's a foot doctor. He doesn't save any lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and it didn't the generator blow like right after the show ended too? Yeah, yeah. I believe the generator blew right after the show ended too. So Paulie right now is in the back freaking out, um, just totally wigging out. Because these guys, I don't know why, but they went so long. It was ridiculous. But I didn't care because... Let them have a great match. Let them have a great match. You know what I mean? I don't care. It doesn't affect me. I just, all I got to do is come out there and lose, you know? So yeah. that's no big deal. Yeah. So, all right. Walk us through your, your work in, at the WWF. You obviously want to get back in the ring. When did you create the Raven character? What made you think of it? Like, what was the process of developing that? Uh, oh, wait, hang on. Sandman just uh, did his patented spot where he, where he puts a ladder. Yeah, and it ended up in the fifth row. Yeah, he puts the ladder against the top rope, and then puts and then you he bends the guy over so he's standing over the ladder. And then he jumps off the top rope onto the ladder on the outside, which does a which does a, which a, a, a not a um uh, yeah, flips it over. Yeah. yeah. What's the thing called? A teeter totter. Yeah. What's yeah. 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 What's that thing really called though? Like that's what or uh, I don't know. I'll remember. Anyway, so he does yeah. one of those, and the thing flips. But it barely hits Stevie and flies out into the 15th row. Is freaking yeah. hilarious. I don't know how you guys didn't get sued more. All right, yeah, so tell, tell us how you came up with the Raven character. So Where, where were you? What, what, what inspired it? Okay, so I'm sitting there, and, uh, and I knew, um, and I was talking to DDP. And I'm like, he's like, he's like you can't. He goes, you know, you're, you want to be a chicken shit heel, which is great, but nobody's buying chicken shit heels anymore. Nobody wants to hire them. It, the business had changed a lot. Everybody was a tough guy. I was like, I don't want to be a tough guy. Everybody's a tough guy. I'd rather be a chicken shit heel. He's like, no, nah, you go. You need to do something different if you're going to change. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, you ought to go alternative because you're that's who you are, you know. And I'm like, yeah. And then he, um, and so he suggests he goes like the Red Hot Chili Pepper guys. You're tattooed. You got long hair. You wear a leather jacket. You know, you ought to do. You know, think in that direction. So that was that was the jumping on point. And from there. One day I just was thinking, what, do I, what am I going to do? What am I going to call myself? What am I going to wear? What am I going to be? And I'm like, huh, I go. And I, and I remember watching The Crow. I go, The Crow is a good, um, it's kind of analogous to, uh, you know, the, 
kind of character I was thinking of, dark, deep. You know, I mean, it wasn't it. You know, it wasn't it by any stretch of imagination. But, but it was, I'm trying to come up with some reference points. You know what I mean? And then I thought, what's the character's name? Eric Draven. Draven, Raven, Raven. Quote the Raven, nevermore. And boom, I had a name and a catchphrase, just like now, that. Now, are you working for the WWF when you came up with that? Yeah, what were you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so still you're working for him. Yeah, so I have this image of you like come, sketching the Raven characters. You're like in a suit and tie around the corner from Vince McMahon at Titan Towers. No, um, I, I think I was either just leaving or I had left, um, but I was already on the way out the door. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so the. Um, so I said, Draven, Raven, or uh, Raven, quote the Raven evermore. So I got a name and a catchphrase. And then at the same, the same day, I'm like, what am I going to wear? So I go, all right, what's trendy? You know, what, what am, who am I trying to be? Tortured, poetic soul, a misfit. Uh, they were, instead of wearing jeans, instead of wearing trunks, I'd wear shorts and wear them. Um, and everybody cuts them off at the knee. You know, that's the, you know, shredded and, and, you know, the way I wear them, you know, with some rips in it. I'm like, that's what, that's what I would wear. And then I was like, Hmm, what else do I wear? And I go, leather jacket. And no, I go, I need some flannel in this. Cause so I cut it. So I took a flannel shirt and I cut the sleeves off and I'm like, and I put it on with no sleeves to wrestle. And I'm like, no, nah, I look like big Josh. I look like a lumberjack. So that's not it. So then I go, all right, what do I do? Oh, I'll just tie it around my waist. Boom. Got that. This is all within like five minutes, the whole, the name, the outfit, everything. Wow. Then I get a, so now I got the jean shorts, the flannel around the waist. I go, I can wear a concha. I go, well, let's see, a leather jacket. I got to wear a leather jacket. So leather jacket, boom. That's, it's the one I had one anyway. That's all I wore was my leather jacket. Um, and then I wore concert t-shirts. So I'm like, I get concert t-shirts. And now because I'm going to, because I believe in wearing, you should have a dozen ring jackets. You need to have a lot of ring jackets to look like a star because to be a star, you got to look like a star. So you need to have ring jackets because I mean, think about it. Well, that was one of the reasons that Flair looked so much better than everybody else. Was he had a, and he had a dozen of them at least, you know? And, like, I remember, no offense to Terry Taylor, but he had one ring jacket. It was beautiful, but it was one. So, you know, after you've seen it a few times, then you're not impressed anymore, you know what I mean? It's still impressive as shit compared to everybody else's. But so I'm like, so I believe I'm thinking, all right, so four weeks of TV. And, and I learned this years earlier in Portland. I figured it out. Four weeks of TV and a pay-per-view, even though there wasn't pay, even though I wasn't doing them, was uh, so you need five ring out, at least five ring jackets, because that way you can wear them for a year and never, and people don't get really tired of them or get used to them because you're you're rotating them, you know. And uh, so now I've uh, in the in the ring now I hit the ring. I guess I'm taking off all my outfit and I'm getting ready to beat up uh, Funk, so I'm telling him to get up anyway. So I knew that I, and I, I had like 12 or 15 ring jackets by, by the third year and by my third year in the business. And I used to make them for cheap. I'd buy a ripped up, I'd buy an old jean jacket, like in different styles of them. I'd put fringe on it or neon fabric, a Scotty the Body, Scotty Flamingo. And I had like 15 ring jackets. So I knew how important they were, but I'm like, Raven wouldn't wear anything but a leather jacket. So where do I get my variety from? And that's when I realized the concert shirt, because I always had big shoulders and arms, but I always had a bit of a belly and I still do. And so I figured I'll wear a t-shirt to wrestle in and cut the sleeves off. So my arms and shoulders will stand out, but I cover my belly and I also have no chest. So that'll cover that too. But I mean, I gotta be honest, you know, I got no chest. No, I got a belly and I uh, just had big arms and shoulders. So that worked out perfect for a ripped up t-shirt. And uh, then I could also wear a different t-shirt every single week. So I'd always have a different T-shirt, you know, so I'd have variety in my outfit. 
Um, because that's important. So now I'm beating up Funk and he's bleeding like he's a stuck pig. And uh and he's uh, see how he's see how he's like is making that face. He's making that face to tighten to tighten his face to get more blood to pump out. Wow. So he's squeezing his face, to, uh, making uh. So all I gotta do is keep beating him up, keep beating him up until they until they send the until it's the he rolls out or whatever, I think. And and the, oh, there's a doctor, there's my roommate. Wow, he was heavy. Holy crap, was he fat? That fat bastard. You still buddies hey, with him? What's that? You still buddies with him? Yeah, yeah. I just talked to him the other day. Um, so he's checking on Funk, and Funk's delirious, but he's like, can fi-? they're like, can Funk continue? Can he continue? He's like, yeah. So I guess, uh, so I come over and start beating him up. To, uh, my roommate jumps out. He says, yeah, let it go, let it go. So, so we, have a, we, we, have a, we have a foot doctor that's checking on guys that are getting... Right, we, don't know, we, don't know he's a, we don't know he's a foot doctor. <laughs> we just think he's a, he's a ringside physician. But that's they right. go to the same med school. I mean, he's actually a surgeon, yeah. you know? But that's why it's so funny when he goes, when he goes, Paulie, I save lives. <laughs> so I just keep beating up funk, and I think I'm going to go for uh, something to slam, and he's just going to roll me up or something. I, I don't know. I don't even know if he makes a comeback. Did you know you were going to WCW at this point? Uh, yeah, I think so. Because, I, I mean, it was, so. you only, it was a few months after that you left. I didn't know yeah. if, you, if you knew. I didn't know if that's why Funk went over in this match. No, he was going over anyway, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, the uh, – no, no, wait, no, this wasn't – I don't think he was. I don't think I was leaving quite yet because I think it was the next pay-per-view where I put over Dreamer. Yeah, well, yeah, that's uh, so wrestling. I, I, was leaving. I didn't know I was leaving yet, I don't think. But God, I don't okay. know. It's been, it's been 25 years, so, I mean, it's a long time. Yeah. So, so, they, so they just wanted a happy ending for this, this show. Yeah, absolutely. Did you, you have know, any issues? That you, was the whole point. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the irony was the poster was just Sabu and Taz because Taz made the posters. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so somehow me and Funk didn't make it onto the posters. You know, even though that that was the main event was, you know, I mean, not that Sabu and Taz were in a huge draw. They were an enormous draw. But somehow it was only their faces and not me or Funk. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's back when they actually used to build the matches. I mean, that had a huge build. You and Dreamer had a huge build. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's the whole idea. I mean, what I don't get is why companies don't do this. They build everything for a pay-per-view, but what they should, oh, here's my word, the world's worst planches. You know what? You, you you look like Steamboat in there compared to what we saw Sandman doing earlier. So, <laughs> you know what it is 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 it's so sloppy because of my lack of athleticism. But but uh, but with Ted Petty, Flyboy Rocco Rock said it best. He goes he goes, uh, oh good, I just got to whack my roommate. That was great. I just punched the doc. But he um, Flyboy Rocco Rock goes he goes yours look more realistic. He goes because you look like you're actually taking your life in your hands <laughs> when you're diving over the top. <laughs> So here comes my crew of people. Who were who were they? Let's see. Out there. Why are they out there? I guess uh, now the doctor's being carted off by damage control. I think that's Reggie Bennett. Yeah, it was. Now. She draws, she pile draws Funk. So Funk's dead. He's dead now. I, I loved having a dog and pony show with me. That's what I always called it. Yeah. You know, like having because there's an art form and there's a psychology to having sidekicks and flunkies and knowing when to use them, when not to use them. You know, I always tried to have the referee, see the referee was down, even though it would have been allowed, you know, because it's ECW. But I always tried to do shit behind the ref's back because people forget that it's not against the rules and so there's heat for it. 
you know, why do it in front of the ref when you can do it behind his back and make it more cheap? Well, it's funny because, you know, the excuse of like why you guys used to build these long, long arcing storylines would be, oh, well, you know, you guys still had weekly TV back then. So it's not, you know, you did big shows. You worked the same city every Saturday night. So you still no, no, just... No, we worked, we worked ECW Arena every three weeks. I'm sorry, every three weeks. But, but you still, it's not like you guys weren't, you were only doing a couple super shows. You're still doing a bunch of shows, yet you were able to build, you know, you and Dreamer for a year and a half, Sabu and Taz. Well, we, we were able, me and Dreamer, I mean, Sabu and Taz, I think they built that for like six months, you know, but the, um, they, uh, the, you can always build a story. You just have to have good storytelling. It's, it's a skill. Like I consider myself a storyteller more than a wrestler, you know, um, Paulie considers himself a storyteller, you know, we're telling story. That's what I love about wrestling. It's why I never really went to Japan for any length of time. I, you know, I went like, I think I went like six times, but, uh, Watch this choke slam. He's going through the tables, through like a double stack of tables. Ah, whoosh. Ow, that looked painful. Yeah. And But I never went to Japan because it's all, it's mostly, I mean, maybe now it's a little different, but it's mostly just matches. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wanted to be in a, sto- in a soap opera. That's what I love about wrestling was the soap opera aspect. And so the, um, what was I saying before about, uh, I forget. I was, I was, there's a point I was going to finish up, but I, I forget what it was. So now we're uh, Funk's down and out. We had all the dog and pony show come running in, come running through. Dreamer gets got attacked up on the commentator's booth uh, in the crow's nest. And then he uh, turned the tables on Big Dick Dudley. Now he's coming after me. He threw a cannon at me, but I caught it and threw it back at him. <laughs> Dreamer, uh, I love that. So that I went for a hip toss. Dreamer turned it into a DDT. And now Funk's uh, rolling. He's trying to build up the crowd. I don't know if you remember this or not. So What? So they, okay, so they ring the bell there, and he, there was a little bit of confusion. I don't know if you yeah, remember what happened. To finish okay, DDT. so it was just the ring bell that was messed right. up. It was, yeah, it was a screw up. Got I it. Okay. about that. Yeah, I yeah. wanted to ask you about that. I wasn't sure what happened. I assumed that because they, they looked like he called two count, you kicked out, but then they rang the bell, so threw it off a little bit. Yeah. Still, still an awesome yeah, finish. He really did, but because that was the whole idea of false finish was it was obvious. Like whenever I do, like I try to play on fans' um, innate uh, knowledge of wrestling that when this would happen, the run-in happens, boom, the guys, it's a false finish. The guy's going to get pinned. And I and like... I'll give you the way. I, so then I would do the opposite. I would kick out or have him kick out. Like what I always told my opponents was, if you're going to go to the top rope on me, and and uh, if you're going to me, if you're going to land on me, I want you to go to the top rope and stay there forever. Take forever because the people are going to be convinced that you're going to miss when you take too long. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, oh, you're busy watching the joyous celebration of Terry bleeding funk. Yep, and then it cuts out right after this. It was the end of the uh, show. They so didn't, just, they didn't play music. Yeah, yeah. Point real quick. So, so if, if the guy goes to the top rope and he's going to land on me, I make sure he takes a long time. But if he's going to miss, I make sure he goes right up and misses. Like, most guys, if they're going to miss, they go up there and they take forever, you know? And that way, it, it covered quotation marks, it covers them for, for missing. That's why they miss, because they took too long. But that's what everybody expects, so I don't do that. I do the exact opposite. Last question for you. What, what's your proudest moment uh, as a performer in the business? 
Um, one of them, I don't know what you, uh, it changes, you know, if you, if you ask me tomorrow, it'll be something different, but one of them is, wow, what a great shot. I never saw that. Yeah. That's how it went off the air. That was it. Yeah. All those fans hugging bloody Terry Funk. This is, it's awesome. This is a different time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, one of my favorite things, one of my most proud moments is when I know what it was something I was telling you either earlier or in the last episode was that when I got into ECW, Paulie thought it was all tweeners. And so he didn't have baby faces or heels. And, uh, and I told Paulie, I said, look, I'm going to be a heel. There's still, you have to have a heel and a baby face to build a match. Even if it's a baby face, baby face match, somebody has to stop the guy and gets and beat him down. Even if he doesn't cheat to do it, but one guy always has to come back. And so I made sure I was a heel. And I said, everybody I face is going to be a baby face. And Paulie went from having the whole company betweeners to all faces and heels. And that was really because I made a line in the, a line in the sand that I wasn't going to be a tweener. I was going to be a heel and I was going to make him hate me. I mean, sure, there's going to be 10, 15% that were going to like you anyway, but I, I would never play to that 10 or 15%. And I would always make sure that I went out of my way to try and just to detract those 10 and 15% to not play to them and to always maintain being a heel. Like I wouldn't sign autographs, you know, in the, in the, in the building or anything like it. If there was a merch table there, I wouldn't have went to the merch table. You know, I would have done, I did because I believe in it. You know what I mean? And, and if the people believe I'm a dick, then they're going to want to pay money to see me, to see me get my ass whipped. Yeah. It's, it's a lost art. And I mean, from a storytelling standpoint, it's tough to get, really to lose yourself in the match if you don't love one guy and hate the other guy. Yeah, and that's, that's why. I mean, like, even if you have two heels, or if you have two heels fighting it, heel versus heel, one of them still has to be more of a heel than the other. It's like if you watch the UFC, it's more exciting when one guy starts making, starts beating up the other guy, but then the guy makes a comeback, right? Yep. Always more exciting. And so that's what wrestling is. The guy always gets to make a comeback. So why... So I always tell people when they're in a, if they're in a babyface match, pick one of you to stop the other guy and beat him up for a while for, you know, for what is considered a set of heat. You're not being a heel. You just happen to have the advantage, but you're going to tell a better story that way. Yeah. Well, this was fantastic. We, we appreciate having you here on the payoff. Uh, there's still one more episode to go. Well, we're going to record that a few months from now, probably. Okay, so that'll air. So we'll record that in a five minutes, and then we'll wear that for the third show. That's right. That's right. Put on a different shirt. Sound a little different when we come back. Not a problem. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Ho! It's time for the aftermath. As always, of course, got to thank Raven to take the time for talking to us. You know, we know he's a busy guy. He's got his own show, the, the Raven Effect. Of course, check that out as well, too. But um, we always appreciate when we have the opportunity to talk about him. He's just got just such cool things to say. And so um, we appreciate that, of course. So, um, Tom, I'll let you go first here. What did you think about the payoff? Yeah, you're right. Raven's uh, podcast is awesome. And make sure to uh, follow him on Twitter and tag him and let him know you listen to this because, uh, you know, he's super interactive with everyone. And he's a, he's a great follow on Twitter. So, dude, I got, I got a bunch of stuff here. Uh, you know, like I said, Raven's one of our favorite guests. He was great. Um, I This old guy winning the title, I don't know why, but I love it. Okay. It, Okay, there's just, for some reason, I just, I love it. Like, they could do it more often and I'd be happy with it, right? You know, you, if, if you gave Taker the title right now, I would dig it. 
Okay. If you gave Hulk Hogan the damn title, I would dig it. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, I, I just think it's cool. Right. Like when Hogan came back after he lost to the rock and then beat triple H for the title, I dug it. Okay. I love the like Babe Ruth comeback out of retirement, you know, old dog winning the title. I love it. I think it's awesome. I mean, not that you want to do it all the time, but I am totally cool with, you know, every year, every other year, every couple years, whatever, finding someone, even like Goldberg winning the title, right? Like that, that to me is fun and it's cool. And I don't think it takes away from the young guys. It doesn't have to be a long run, but I love nostalgia. Always have, always will. So I dig it, man. It's not like Raven, you know, looks bad losing. He was still a badass, still went on to do great things, but I loved having Funk as champion. Um, this wasn't the best wrestling match, but it was entertaining as hell. You know, no. I mean, so that's why it's like these <laughs> these five-star rankings. I mean, I kind of laugh at them because, you know, it's like the crowd was going nuts. The pop was massive. It served its purpose. It was a sloppy nine-minute wrestling match, but who cares? It was awesome, right? The the choke slam on Big Dick Dudley, man, oh, was it horrible? I mean, it was so bad. I think the good thing about an ECW crowd three and a half, four hours into a show is the building's hot. They're all hammered. So I don't think they noticed that the guy just kind of jumped and wasn't like, you know, actually choke slammed. So place went nuts. It served its purpose, but man, was it an ugly choke slam. Those are my notes. Uh, let's talk storyline standpoint. What happened following this match? Yeah, so just to share a little bit about uh, the event itself, one of the write-ups said the show was a very slightly toned-down version of the product with a high work rate, a few, well, not death-defying, but certainly injury-defying spots, some sloppiness and nervousness, several booking swerves, a few technical problems, some excellent matches, and undoubtedly the best pregame show for a pay-per-view in the history of the business. In the end, the show was stolen by the two oldest performers on the show. The first, uh, the first one of pro wrestling's bonafide legends, the other one of the most underrated, enduring great workers in the history of the industry. So... Wow. High marks there. Yeah, high marks when you think about it. So, um, but really cool. And like you said, like it was their first pay-per-view. We got into it a little bit. Um, I'll give my specific thoughts about the match when we give our scores. But one of those where, yeah, you can't, you know, this is one of those where you can't underrate or kind of overlook just how important it really was. Even if it was just, you know, another day in April, it really wasn't. And so that did really mean a lot. So um, as for Terry Funk, uh, he held the belt actually for roughly, it was five months and it was Sabu who beat him. It was a barbed wire match at Born to be Wired. And if you remember this one, this is the match where they took the ropes down and they replaced it with barbed wire. So um, this was early. It was August 1997. And both of them had to be cut out of the barbed wire at the end of this match. The video's crazy. Check it out. But So that's, one that's, that's one of those where it's like, hey, so I know you watch that like fake wrestling stuff. Tell me about it. Oh, well, there was a pay-per-view. It was called Born to be Wired. Play on words. It wasn't wild. It was wired. The reason for wired is because they, instead of having ropes like you'd think of a, in a boxing ring, they had barbed wire surrounding it. They were using it to throw each other in to wrap each other from. Um, it was real barbed wire. Um, they had to be cut out of it at the end of the match. 
you just can't even imagine a match <laughs> like that. I mean, unless it's on like, you know, kind of the indie scene or something like that, like seeing something like that in WWE would never happen nowadays. Like, no, you know, I still want them to bring back the, uh, God, and I always forget the name of it with, they surround the ring by foot with fire. Inferno uh, match. I still, I would kill to have the return of an Inferno match. I think that, that that's what, that is what WWE needs to get me back is someone is billed to an Inferno match. I, so. I think that they, I, okay, I remember the first Inferno match, which was Taker and Kane after they had their initial match, but I think they did it one other time, if I'm not mistaken. So I think there's been two Inferno matches. That's the thing. Like, we always talk about like, oh, we, you know, it's, oh, some of these match types are getting overused or like Hell in a Cell, it's not used for the like appropriate kind of time and when it was done. Um, there was a couple Undertaker versus Kane's. The, Kane was involved in most of them. There was some uh, Triple H as well too had one with him. And I just did a, a very quick search. So this is not fully researched, but Kane and MVP had a match too. So that was at least on this list on WWE.com, the last one, which was t- 2000. Six, so bring me back an inferno match. I'd be a happy man. So, um, but they had this match where he lost the belt to Sabu. Um, this is like Tom, you referenced it a little bit here, but a little bit more details on some of this one. So, um, and I'll kind of read the write up that I had on this one. So, in September of that same year, so just a month later, a show was held in Funk's hometown of Amarillo. It was called WrestleFest, fifty years of Funk, and was both his show his own show and a celebration of the careers of him his father his brother they're all in the wrestling industry so at the time like you said he lost to Bret Hart not a retirement match but a match and so it was the main event of this it was a non-title match and so he lost one but it was before the match where um, Paul Heyman he actually gave him a belt Terry a belt um, it was paid the or the kind of write up. It was written, or excuse me, the write up as it was written was that it was this belt that he presented to Terry was present or bought for bought by the wrestlers. I'll get it out. Um, it actually declared him the lifetime ECW World Heavyweight Champion, and the belt was belt bought by the wrestlers. So kind of cool if that piece of it's true. Um, you know, I'll do a little bit more research and kind of let you know see what we find out. But that was that show that you were wrestling. The, yes, he did wrestle Brett. You do remember that correctly. And so, um, and like we said, even though he retired 1983, still out here 1997, kind of doing his thing, which is just great. And so he has that. And so, uh, of course, not a retirement after he left um, ECW on this one. He showed up in WWE. It was December of 1997. Um, of course, it was Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, the two of them. Uh, and if you've listened to our episode, our previous episode with Billy Gunn, this is where we get into Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie taking on the New Age Outlaws. We got dumpsters, just all kinds of crazy things. And then, of course, later again, 1998, Terry Funk retired again. And so uh, can't keep him away, though. He's done a whole lot more since. Uh, He's still out there, you know, doing what he does. Like, just bounce back and forth. He did a little bit more time in ECW as well, too. But I would be interested for a future episode. Like, we need to figure out who has retired the most in wrestling. And so, because um, you always think Rick Rick Flair's retired a lot, but... Yeah, no, no I, I don't even know if anybody comes close to Terry Funk. I yeah I don't I I don't know how and so maybe it's just part of the character now like well, it, and here just, and here's a, here's another question I want to know is who's been fired the most 
that's got to be Marty Jannetty. <laughs> Your buddy. Yeah, it has to be. I don't, I just don't, it's got to be. And so uh, it, there's just so many, it, we got to, there's somebody we're not thinking of, I'm, cor- I'm sure. But yeah, yeah, how many retirement matches does it take? And so, uh, but yeah, <laughs> how many times can you announce retirement? Mark Henry did it well, but swerved us. But, you know, Terry Funk, you never know which one's going to be the real one. But good for him still being out there doing what he does. So, of course, too, as Tom kind of alluded to in this one, Dreamer and Raven kind of getting involved in the choke slam and all that other stuff. But it was actually two months later that Raven left for WCW. Um, of course, we can you know kind of check out our previous episode where we talk about how he lost the belt um, as well. Kind of later at that time, um, it was to Tommy Dreamer, 1990. So feel free, like kind of check that out. Like we've got some more info from that previous episode. So um, uh, cool stuff, you know, of course, like Terry just being out there, you know, really, I you say, as we said it before, like putting over the, the young guys, quote unquote, young guys um, and doing what he does. But I think it's just super cool. Like I, I had a lot of ton of fun kind of reading up on this one. And so Tom, what are the thoughts that you have on the aftermath? None really. I mean, I think that, you know, this didn't have a massive build and it wasn't intended to, and there was no major storyline arc to it. It really just was a feel good moment, um, isolated for that pay-per-view. I, I think it served its purpose and, uh, it was a lot of fun, really enjoyed it. Yeah. So what I'm curious what the write-ups were for this one. Yeah. So while I said, uh, the pro wrestling torch, they gave the match before this one, four stars, they gave this match two stars. And so kind of way down from that, but the kind of wrestling observer newsletter, the write up, um, it kind of talks about some different things here, of course, but just some, some little kind of notes that were kind of sprinkled throughout this one. I won't read the whole thing cause it is a little bit of a play by th- or play by play of it, but, um, you know, the, the doctor that came out to the match um, that was actually Raven's roommate at the time in real life. And so kind of funny of how Raven knocking out the ref at that time. Um, like Tom said, a little bit like that quote unquote choke slam, which I have strong feelings about what that was, but I'm saving that. I'm ready for that one. Uh, but he said like the spot looked terrible in that dreamer didn't get Dudley off his feet and Dudley obviously jumped off the ledge through the three tables, which got the biggest pop of the show for the fall from the highest height through the most tables of the night just writing that sentence alone, like this is what, where else are you going to be able to write that sentence except in wrestling? And so I'm still trying to grasp the idea that, you know, like Raven had a roommate, like imagine, you know, you're, you're working at nine to five, you're, uh, you know, doing some, some accounting uh, in a cubicle. Yeah. You put in a good day of work. You you come home, you're, you're you're eating uh, dinner, you know, hanging out watching some tv and uh your roommate comes in he's got blood all over his face he's got thumbtacks in his uh hair <laughs> like uh oh, hey scott how you doing buddy <laughs> yep yeah time, time to help pull out thumbtacks like that's the life of a wrestler so yeah you, you thought you um, had a ru- you, you thought you had a rough day because your uh you know manager chewed you out <laughs> right you get somebody's got to pull them out you know if they're in your back or whatever like it's always the fun part so uh but kind of reading the last little bit of this here um dreamer hit the ring had a short brawl with raven and d 
DDT'd him. Funk covered Raven, who kicked out, but the bell ringer blew it and rang the bell anyways. Funk then inside cradled Raven, and the ref counted the fall, and the bell rang again. Under normal circumstances, this would have been so anticlimactic because of the bell ringer screwing up. But things were at such a frenzy at this point that it was okay. The place went nuts with fans hugging Funk as the show went off the air. Three and a quarter stars. So... We've heard the story before. It's kind of the, the legend of it here. Um, but then, like, just after the show went off the air, like, I'm losing power and, like, generators blowing and all these other things. And so, um, it's kind of crazy how the universe works that way. Um, but that's all right. There was, um, of course, after the show, a bunch of people came out. Dreamer, the Eliminators, Funk, thanked ever got in the ring, thanked the crowd for being there. But like you said, Tom, like, at that point, after a few hours of kind of watching it, like, the bell stuff and just the match itself, like fans, you know, they were going to cheer. They didn't care. And so it was worth it. So, um, yeah. So Tom scores, I feel like are all over the place here for this one. We've got, you know, three and a quarter on this one. We've got two as well. The match before we've got four that kind of gave us this match, like just a lot happening, but what are your thoughts on the write-ups? Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, it's so interesting because, Okay, let, let's just play this game right here real quick. Um, WrestleMania this year, I don't know what the main event's going to be. We, we really have no idea, but whatever. There's, there's going to be a main event. Let, let's, let's just say, you know, Seth Rollins is in there, uh, you know, against Roman Reigns. I'll just use two guys as an example, okay? And can you imagine if, uh, you know, there was a massively botched choke slam and then they like messed up the three count and the bell rang early. Like, I mean, the crowd would just boo the shit out of it. Twitter would explode with how bad it was. Yep. Now I understand there was no Twitter back then, but the point is, and and that was covered in the review is dude, ECW was just so loved and the fans were so loyal. And it was like this, feeling of hey we're all in this together and we want this pay-per-view to be successful and those fans weren't gonna boo they weren't gonna chant you fucked up why not because they wanted this to be successful they wanted this pay-per-view to be great so it's almost like they cheered along and participated versus shitting on it because you know so any other crowd any other night this probably would have been a disaster but it just worked and no one cared It's, it's wild how that happened yeah, absolutely. So, um, so with that, of course, we, get, we have the reviews and kind of the the experts and what they say. But then uh, Tom and I, we love sharing our scores. So, of course, every week we give our payoff score. There's no intense rubric to it. It's just one through ten, kind of how we feel about the match, the build, the crowd, the commentary, the in-ring product, the aftermath, just whatever Tom and I are feeling like on this day. So uh, no formula, just what two guys are thinking about the match. And so, of course, you know, Tom and I, we don't talk about it ahead of time, so we never really know where this is going to go, but that makes it a little bit fun. So, um, Tom, I think, want me to go first? I'll go first. Yeah, I went first last. I feel like I've gone first the last few times. So We never track this stuff. You can tell how organized we are here at the payoff, So, but that's okay. So um, I, I will say I'm, I'm going to give it a six and a half. Mm. Well, I, I understand the importance of... I'm I'm taking it from a strictly like match perspective and that's probably high actually because I this match itself wasn't a match to me. It was 
like there was a lot of storytelling, which I think is perfectly okay too. Um, but I think that like watching the match as a whole, Funk didn't really wrestle a whole lot. There was like he was dead when the match started. He was still pretty dead when the match ended. You know, it's thanks to some kind of outside interference, things like that. The only reason why, and like distractions, why, you know, he eventually got there. Um, but I think, and it was, it was a great pop. I don't think you can overlook the pop. Um, like we said, you know, it's one of the, I had the, I have it in my notes here. Like we talk about like Austin and we think about like the crimson mask of him at that point. Like, you know, flunk or flunk. Whoa. Like funk was, you know, not squeaky clean at the end of this match or either. Like he was bleeding pretty good, like throughout the night. And so that was one of those two where it's like, he was just, he looked rough. Like he was already like, yeah, he's an older guy. He was out there. He's doing what he do. He's definitely doing what I, you know, stuff that I can't do even at that age. But I think we like looking at that. It's just one of those, like you said, it's really almost like a forgotten thing. Like it's just, people don't always, it doesn't come up very much. And also, like, and that chokes, like, you referred to it as a choke slam. I don't, like, you can't even call it a choke slam. And, like, even that write up said, oh, Dreamer didn't get him up. It's like, you got, like, you know, knowing how the choke slam works, you got to put a little bit into it yourself, too. And he really did not do that. And so, um, it more like, because I even rewound it a couple times and, like, went back and I was like, what, like, what the hell? Like, did he push? I thought he pushed him. He didn't push him like it was supposed to be a choke slam through all the tables. The pop was crazy. Like that's what oh, I yeah. think. You don't get. I feel like you don't get pops like that anymore for WWE. Like the fan. Like they went crazy. Like when I and it's just one of those like it, it building and building to it. And like you said, they're not going to boo it at all. So, um, well, I think I understand the larger implications to it. Like the match itself and taking it strictly from that. Like. Uh, I'm only going to be a 6.5. I can see other instances where I would give it like a nine, but like for whatever today I'm going a 6.5. Well, look, you know, we, we've just been so desensitized to these big spots. I remember. So, I mean, you know, I've shared this on here before, but I was at the, you know, mankind undertaker, hell in the cell falling off it. And I mean, it was incredible and it was wild. I also was there when Shane jumped off the cage on the taker. Mm. Everyone knew it was going to happen. It was like, oh, yeah, Shane's going for the big spot. Oh, yeah, Shane's going to jump off the cage. I mean, it was still cool to see, but, I mean, the pop wasn't the same, right? Like, it's just, you know, that's the problem is we've just seen this stuff over and over again. I mean, even, like, New Jack doing his, like, balcony spots, you know, eventually, like, they sort of, you know, subsided because you just expected it at every pay-per-view. There was only so many, so much height to, to jump off of. I mean, people just expected it. So my payoff score on this, I'm on the same thinking as you are here. I have this at a seven. I love the intent of let's get the old guy, the title. And I, I love that. So I love the, the idea of it. Um, the crowd went crazy. It was a happy ending to a great night. Obviously the execution could have been better. I, I think this could have been like a nine, nine and a half. Okay. I still yeah. loved it, but I, I think it could have been, I mean, I think if you went back and you tweaked a few things and did a few things differently, um, maybe involved dreamer differently, you know, I, I think you could have gotten to like a nine, nine and a half, but, seven and if anything i lean higher so that's where i am and why i'm there but that's all i I yeah i almost think like 
for me, I think you have to watch. And for anyone that's kind of going back and wants to check things, these, this out, I recommend actually watching the match before this too, because it gives like, otherwise you like, you kind of start it and funks dead and then Raven's there. And so I, I would, I recommend anyone that's kind of taking the time to do it, go back and watch that match before it was a good match. Like, and so it's one of those where, you know, they did have some good back and forth. There were some crazy spots in that one too. And so I would recommend like that and almost looking at it as like a part two of an entire match because it sets the stage a little bit better. And I get it, you know, the behind the scenes, like the whispers and things they might've been hearing about like building to, you know, Raven losing the belt and all these other things. And, all that you got to take we knowing what we know now but i would say watch that with this and it actually makes this better that's a good point yeah so um yeah so good stuff of course tom um you know we love doing this and so you got any other final thoughts anything before we take this one home i got i got nothing fun fun show fun night fun match great guest uh another awesome moment here on the payoff big fan of this one Absolutely. So of course, everybody, you know, we got to thank uh, once more Raven for joining us. Just awesome, dude. Like, absolutely. And so um, find him on Twitter. He is at the Raven effect. And so and of course, as we already kind of said a little bit, you can hear him on his own podcast at or yeah, at whoa, it's just yeah, it's at the Raven effect. And so make sure to check that out, you guys. And of course, we're back. We are bringing you episodes every week once again. Tom and I looking forward to recording, bringing new guests out here. We've got a few people lined up, so we're excited to bring that to you guys. So subscribe to The Payoff. We will bring it to you every Monday. Give us those five stars. That's what we like to see. Um, making sure that you know those reviews help us get our name out there as well, too. And then, of course, spread the word about the show. We love interacting with fans. You know, Tom and I talking to people, you know, they love what we're doing. And then they tell their you know, friends that they have. And so, um, you know, it's no secret. A lot of people like wrestling. And they like talking about this old wrestling and listening to the show and all this other stuff. And so we love doing this. So, you know, subscribe, five stars, spread the word, everybody. And, of course, on that social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, at PayoffPod. So, Tom. Any uh, extreme closing here that you want to give us? Uh, I got I got nothing, but I will give a quick, oh, my God. And with that, thank you, as always, for joining us on The Payoff.